Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. He's like, this is the hardest shit I've ever, he's like, this is the hardest shit I've ever heard. Like, you need to put this out right now. Like, what are you doing? And I was like, well, I'm not a rapper. This isn't my song. I just think someone should do this song. And it's not Chuck English because it's not his vibe. It's more like Atlanta. So I went to Atlanta. I went to Sunny Digital's house. He made like racks on racks on racks. He made Mm -hmm. going up on a Tuesday. He's like, he makes fantastic music. And I played it for him. And he was like, this is out of here. This is a no brainer. And I'm like, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, check it out. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Yeah. Everybody tuning in, you invited, you invited. No matter what mood you in, get excited, get excited. Everybody love the music. Let me tell you how they do it. Whether writer or an agent, let me tell you how they made it. You are now talking to a silent giant. Wanna walk in their shoes, silent giants. Wanna study they move, silent giants. Wanna know what they do, silent giants. Silent giants, y'all. <laughs> Welcome to the Silent Giants Podcast, a podcast highlighting the superstars behind your favorite superstars in creative industries. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. To keep up with the latest on the show, be sure to subscribe to the show and follow us on Instagram at, at Silent Giants Podcast. Also, to keep up with my life, music, and more, be sure to follow me as well on Instagram at, at Corey Cambridge. Today on the show, we have a very special guest, singer, songwriter, and producer Jake Troth the unlikely silent giant behind Kevin Gates' double platinum single, Really Really. In this episode, Jake shares stories about playing Little League Baseball with Steph Curry, getting his big break with Big Boy, and making his double platinum single with Kevin Gates. So without further ado, let me introduce you guys to the singer, the songwriter, producer, my friend, the silent giant, Jake Troth. So, so Jake, welcome to the show. Thank you. And... and <clears throat> Explain to me, like, uh, where are you from? Um, you want me to explain it? What's up? Tell me where you're from. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> how did you come to be? Uh, I uh, grew up um, in North Carolina and went to art school for college in um, Savannah and then moved to California and then was in California for six years. This whole time you've been in New York, I've been in California. Well, let, let's go to, to your upbringing in, in Raleigh. What was that like in, in North Carolina? <clears throat> I'm from a town called Davidson, which has a... Steph Curry. That's right. We have a Steph Curry. Steph and I used to play baseball together. No way. Yeah, his dad, Dell, was um, one of our coaches. I saw him in the airport the other day, and I gave him a hug, and I gave Steph's mom a hug, and then when I stepped back, I realized that they didn't remember who I was. So <laughs> just some guy in the airport giving them a hug. Because <laughs> uh, I don't look 10 anymore. So, Wait, so, so you play baseball yeah, and play, basketball? No, no, no. I didn't know Steph played basketball. None of us really knew that Steph played basketball. He was on our, he was on our AAU baseball team when we were like 9 and 10, and we won the state championship together. And I pitched, 
and he played right field and he saved the game actually because I gave up this like it was like a guy on second and I gave up a base hit to right field and he threw the guy out at home wow so yeah. Steph, Steph Curry saved your ass he did he, wow. he got me a he, he I mean I pitched very well for eight innings or whatever uh-huh. but yeah he he kept the run off the board for sure and that so was, that was a game saver and so uh, growing up in Davidson, you know, uh, how did you get involved in music? Was your first love sports or was your first love music? Um, I don't remember loving sports. I think my first love was music. Yeah. I think I played sports because it's what you do when you're like young. Where I'm from, there's just recreational sports everywhere. Wrong answer. I feel like it's what you do when you want girls. Sports? Yeah. Because mm. music, music kids are nerds at first. I got into it when I was um, in like late in middle school. So I, I originally just wanted to um, be able to play stuff and like play the songs that I was listening to or figure out why they were, how that how they happened, like what has to happen for me to hear what I'm hearing. Yeah. Um, and then I quickly realized the reaction that you get when you play a guitar in front of a girl. And then I was, I was set. I was like, okay, this is way better than everything else. So you were a decent pitcher. Steph Curry saved you, so you weren't completely like a total bad dweeb at sports. I was Steph Curry. really good. <laughs> I was the best. So, so how did what were your uh, your early influences? That's right. Uh, in music, um, I uh, listened to everything really. I mean, my dad listened to the blues. My brother listened to rap music. And my mom listened to the radio. So um, I grew up singing boy band songs from the radio. And my dad would listen to B.B. King. And so I got some blues. And then I got my brother listening to Q-Tip and Outkast. And then instead of picking one of those, I wanted to be different. So I listened to metal and like rock and heavier stuff just to like differentiate myself from my family and have my own thing going on. And so around what age did you pick up the guitar and start teaching yourself? When I was, when I was like 13, I met this friend, this kid who had just moved to our town and he could play every Dave Matthews band song. Like you would just name it. And it, it, it was like Kendrick Lamar with words. If you, if you would freestyle and you like pitch him a word and he would work in a thing, this kid could do that by playing Dave Matthews Band covers. And I just was like stunned at this person who was my age who could play so many songs and like play them his own way. And it was fun. And it was just like, I was like, I got to figure out how to do this. So I would learn Incubus songs and whatever was on the radio. Brandon Boyd. Yeah. Yeah, because music on the radio was guitar-driven back then. So yeah. there was a lot of stuff that you could learn. There'd be a new song every week that would be like have a cool riff in it, but it's much different now. Um, so once I started learning how to play guitar, I would instead of learning more of other people's songs, I would try to write my own based off of the same chords that I was learning. from. What was the next step for you uh, musically? Did you join a band or... Um how did you start like becoming realizing you like playing the guitar? But how did you become an artist or want to become an artist? Uh, well, I grew up in a neighborhood, so there were kids in our in our neighborhood where we would go through our 
phases together. We would all get into things together. So like first it was sports and then it was someone got a trampoline and then we all would go hang out at the trampoline and then we would all play golf or like go to golf camp and like do that together. And so eventually it got to the point where skateboarding and BMX biking and these types of things there were kids that were getting really, really good at it because they just had a knack for it. And then there was the rest of us. And so instead of being kind of bad at uh, a dangerous thing, we all kind of banded together and picked up instruments. And because I had already started playing guitar and my buddy was proficient at it, we, and I love to sing. So I was the singer and I played rhythm guitar and then my friend, played guitar as well and then we needed a drummer so we got together with our friend who was like the most ADD dude who had hyperactive everything we were a three piece called the rental kids I never picked the band names of the bands that I was in um someone came up with the rental kids I was like fine let's do it (laughs) cool we got a show coming up because you book a show before you write a song I guess when you're 14 and in a band and uh, what was your uh, your first show? It was a house party, easily like 150 people. Like our whole school was there. I, I realized that people who that that had never paid attention to me before seeing me play music had now like they ha- I I had been reborn in front of them. And so there were girls that were like popular at school that were cheerleaders and there were guys that were like soccer players or football players or whatever. And all of them were now facing me and it was me and my two best friends facing them. And that was a crazy moment now that you ask about that because I haven't thought about that. And so like uh, you went to college in Savannah? Yeah, I went to art school before. SCAD? Yeah, in SCAD. Scad. Yeah. I uh, graduated high school and, and convinced my parents to let me take a year off before going to college. And in that year, I, I like went on tour with my friend's band. They were on OzFest, so I like got to see what being on tour was like. And it wasn't cool. It was in a bus. This band had been working for 10 years to get to the point where they were touring in a bus. And I just like showed up and like I showed up right... Basically showed up when the food was ready. Like... <laughs> Oh, great. Like they, so I was spoiled. Uh, but uh, I was just helping them, like, move gear and, like, doing runs for them and getting water every morning and just, like, seeing what that was like, being on, like, a circuit, like a touring show. OzFest was a well-oiled machine, and they were on the lowest tier of bands. You had, like, System of a Down, Disturbed, um, Dragon Force on the main stage, and then on the secondary stage you had all the metal bands that were like my favorite bands but i got to see that my favorite music how people treated them and like what their status was amongst other bands and like i got to see the politics of everything and how like you may love the music that someone makes but like their life might is probably not what you think it's like so i started to like get all these um ideas about uh, like the type of music that I wanted to make and how deciding that will affect your actual life. Um, so that was, that. I'm super glad that I went on tour with them. And then 
when I got off tour, I moved to California with my friend. So I drove us out to San Francisco, and that changed and this, my this, life. This is all before college. Yeah, that was when I was like seventeen, Damn. seventeen or eighteen. Yeah, yeah, your parents were cool, dog. Yeah, well, my, my brother, not, my parents were not on that shit. Oh, are you the only child? Nah, I got a sister, but you better take your black ass to college, right? Right away, right? Yeah, nah. I, I was. Did they it. go to college? No. So like. Not really. My, That's pressure then, because my parents both went, and they they both understood, like, what they would have rather have done, yeah, than do that. So I got, yeah, I didn't have to go because I was like, my parents like knew that I had a, I just had faith in my ability to like figure things out, and um, I had a friend pass away. Uh, my friend Kevin, he he got cancer and he passed away, and so I had kind of this like crisis where I was like, you know what, I can die at any point, and I'd much rather be following my dreams than like trying to fit into some mold of other people. So I told my mom, told my brother that I wanted to move to LA and pursue music. I didn't know anybody who was doing anything. But I definitely wanted to quit like three or four times, like like packed all my shit up and was going to move back to North Carolina. But fate had it another way. Then someone was like, you should go meet this producer, JR. He produced that song. Um, you way too beautiful, girl. It's Sean Kingston. Yeah, song. yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, uh, he brought me in to his studio and was like, um, do you have any song ideas? And I was like, yeah, I got this one song that's too corny that for me to do. It's like not cool, but it's like super catchy. So I sang him this tune and he was like, oh my God, yeah, you got to put that down. So I played it, guitar and sang it. And then he made a beat out of it. And it was like within 10 minutes, the song was like done. And I just remember being like, holy shit, this is a whole like route that you can do. You don't have to be the person singing the songs. You can just write the songs and like work with rad people and then let the songs find their homes and so what was like a like a break breakthrough moment for you in la where you were like dude i think we're fucking doing this this could work one time i've well i don't know because well a lot of times there would be opportunities that would present themselves and i would be like this is going to be huge. And then I would get there and it would be like, (laughs) 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 yeah. So there was like a lot of those. There was a lot of that shit. Like that's what LA I guess is for your first few years, unless you're like a phenom or you're like so hot that you just meet George Clooney right off the bat or whatever. But I think for the rest of us, you get a lot of people who prey upon your dreams and like go, okay, this guy wants to like do this, this, and this. I know this person who seems kind of legit if I word it this way and they put you in positions to do whatever. So like my first concert that I ever played in Los Angeles was the open casket funeral of a stranger in the Valley for like 15 people. I played a funeral. I played one song for this dead guy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that was set up by my management. They were like, we got you a gig. It was like Flight of the Concords. Hey, Brit. Oh, my God. That's fucking hilarious. Like, that shit is real. And so I 
I like wept my way through that concert. And then, you know what? When that happened, we went to Chipotle afterwards. I was like, you know what? I think this is going to work out. <laughs> oh, no. oh, my God. Very it's so true, funny. Very true story. Though. That is. Wait, hold on. Hold on. So tell me more about this. So you get. You get All right, I'll the, tell you exactly what happened. Tell me exactly what happened about the funeral. My management, quote unquote management at the time, they had known someone, this girl who said that she had worked with Soldier Boy. She was like his P- his publicist, right? And you, we all know how great Soldier Boy's PR is. So my manager at the time was like, um, we're working with this girl. She showed me her business card. Her business card was like the tackiest thing I'd ever seen. It was like an Ed Hardy belt buckle like that you'd have to carry around with you all the time. So they were like, We've been meeting with this girl. You need PR because that's what it is in Hollywood. You like trick people into thinking that you're famous. And then once enough people believe that you're famous, you're actually famous. So there's this whole game that, that happens of that like that. So uh, her dad passed away. And this is right when we first started like tr- seeing how we could work together. So her dad passed away and he, and she was like, would Jake be interested in coming to play a song at the funeral? And of course my management was like, like pumping their fist in the air, like saying like, yes, we got him one. <laughs> like they came to me and they were like, she wants you to play a song at the funeral. We think it'd be a great idea. Cause you have like the perfect song for it. Cause I'd written this song in Savannah about growing old with someone. And like, it was like, it's, it's still like one of the best songs I've ever written. And I basically premiered it at a funeral. So I played the funeral in the valley. We drove out there. I wore a suit that was too big for me that I like bought from Santee Alley in in, in uh, downtown LA. Which, if you know anything about it, it's like a, you can buy a suit for like thirty, like a brand new custom tailored suit for like thirty dollars somehow. But it feels like you're wearing a, a like a mattress because it's so big. Um, and everyone came up and paid their respects. Everybody, this guy worked. I think he was like. I think he was like a toll booth operator, so he didn't have very many friends. So, not that if you work a toll booth, you can't have friends, but I mean, his his circle was tight. <laughs> you know, he people come in and out of this guy's life a lot. Uh, so there was like five people that came up and were like, "Great guy, he was such a great guy." You know, he loved his family. Da 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 da. And we're sitting in the back, and meanwhile, I. Before every show I ever play, I, like, sweat bullets. I'm, like, stressed out. I, like, my stomach hurts. I have to, like, use the bathroom three times before. It's just, like, I, it doesn't matter who it's for or what it is. I just get stressed out. I got stressed out before I walked over or before I came over here for this interview. But um, we're sitting in the back, and they're, like, uh, we have someone here that wants to play a song. Um, nobody knows me. They're just like they like looked down the mirror like Jake Truth. Not, not 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 because it's important, but kind of because it's it's kind of important. Was it like a black funeral, a Latino funeral, was it a white funeral? Latino, Latino. Yeah. So you just show up as like the lone Anglo. That's right. <laughs> well, both my managers, both my managers were black. So it's like it's like me, my two like muscle, me and my muscle. Because you know what? Because if you were of the same race as the person, you could have played it off like I'm a family member. I've known him for a little bit. Yeah. No, <laughs> not the case. Lucky. 
And I look like <sighs> I like I like look like a young, like white crooner that Dude, is trying to like appeal to my, young. My, my cheeks hurt <laughs> off this guy. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. My damn story. <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy. Oh. So yeah, I played and I cried the entire song. Like, uh, by the way, the the widow of the guy whose casket was open behind me. Like, we're talking like I could reach behind myself and pat him on the chest and like continue playing the song. His wife was sitting in front of me, and she's not crying at all. Like, like to the point where it was like damn like are you not even sad about this guy like i was i was more upset than she was like i had embodied all of the sadness from this funeral and i was slugging along this tune that i had written like weeping looking into her eyes it was so bad <laughs> it was so bad and then they all mercy clapped me at the end where they were like like we thought we hired a professional but wow like, keep your shit together. <laughs> like, you'll never work in this funeral business again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then we went. So then imagine us in suits at Chipotle afterwards. Like, it's like 2 p.m. on a hot-ass day in the summer. And we're all sitting. And we're just eating chips and guacamole. Like, dead-ass silent. And I'm like... So what do you guys think? Like, what do you guys think of the of the show? Like, we did that. We did critique. I thought you started strong, but I don't know. Something happened, like, second verse. I think you were pitchy. I literally think it to myself, like, yo, what would I say to my boy? Like, I, my boy broke down, broke down crying at the funeral. We're at Chipotle. What do I say to you? Like, yeah. Yo, you good? <laughs> they didn't like apologize. Like if I was a if I was someone's manager and I booked them at a funeral and then they broke down the funeral, I'd be like, sorry, man. We won't do that again. Dude, this is the greatest story I've ever heard oh, of all man. time. This is this is this is the first thing that happened to me when we got to LA. Like, oh this my is god. One of very 
This is one of a lot of stories that have popped off. Did we even get to the breakthrough moment? Was, I was like, that, I was need that to get the breakthrough in. moment? I was like, I got to get a new manager. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is clownery. So what was the what was the breakthrough moment for you in LA where you were like, yo, boys, we're doing it? Hmm. Uh, it didn't happen in LA. It, it, uh, it happened in Atlanta. I worked at a studio that... Like, at the time, Future was working a lot there. And that guy who made that song Party Like a Rockstar, mm -hmm. he had a space that he was renting out and producing stuff in there. And they knew Mr. DJ, who was, like, pretty much one of the original members of Outkast. He's, like, best friends with Andre, and he made um, a lot of tracks for their albums. But he worked with, like, Lenny Kravitz and, like, songwriters. that He worked with more stuff that was more than just rap. And that was so exciting to me that... I was getting to work with someone who had success in both arenas of like hip hop and pop or singer songwriter stuff. I started showing these guys my songs and they liked them and then I liked their beats and then we would just jam and uh, hang out in the studio in Midtown. And then I made this track. The producer was late one of the days that we were supposed to work. So I was f messing around and and DJ came in and he was like, this is great. Yeah, yeah. He, he's, he never, he, he's got such an interesting vibe. He's, he's just like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, you don't, like, you can't, he says stuff, but he's mostly like, you kind of know what he's saying just by the way he, like, looks, I guess. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's just like, he doesn't say anything, but you're like, oh, yeah, he's going to be, just get a full idea of what he's about to do. So he's like, I'm going to go to Big Boy's house tonight because he's talking about making new music and I'm going to play this for him. So I was like, cool. Uh, I don't know much about what Big Boy's got going on right now, but Big Boy had always been my favorite rapper's favorite rapper. Right. Um, so he went to Big Boy's house and played it for him. And then the, the next day he came and he was like, Big Boy loves that track. He's going to take it. And I was like, great. And then I didn't hear anything about it for like months. But I knew that Big Boy had liked this thing that I had made. And so we finished working together. I have like, um, I have some run-ins with some rad people in LA where like, tell them, like, I'm meeting people, more songwriters and more producers and things like that. And then Big Boy calls me up and uh, he's like, we're going to record the song at this location in Hollywood, which was like right up the street from where I was living. So I like skateboarded up to the house and Big Boy was there with um, like Kid Cudi and uh, all these rad producers and this cool gear and hot girls and like just like what I thought I was getting into when I moved to LA it was actually like it was like that so I came through he needed another part of the song so I did it because like I guess I can deliver on the fly when I need to and he was just I never I'll never forget he was like he was like I was like I hope I like played something I was like I hope this that this is good and he was like man like that's fucking amazing or like he like gave me so much encouragement and i was like okay all right and then i was like then i lingered over there too long because i was like hey man can i get another turkey burger because i like have four dollars in my bank account and like like can i like hit that whatever and like 
I was just mooching for like a few <laughs> hours and I was like, okay, I, I need to go. Like I, I, I'm not needed here anymore. So we finished recording the song. I go through another couple months of like being broke and not knowing what's going on. And cause you never know if they're going to keep the song because so many songs get cut all the time. But if Big Boy likes a song, he's going to do something with it. He doesn't sit on music the way that a lot of artists do. Um, so I got a call, another call from Big, right when I was at my lowest point. Like I had a girl that I dated that we broke up, and she like gave me the quintessential, like, you're never going to make it like you're nothing. You don't know what you're doing. Like trying to like trying, just trying so hard to put me down. And, uh, she said like, no, 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 you're going to not have anything going on. Like call me when you have your shit together or whatever. Like call me when you call me when you have something going on. Like 12 minutes later, big boy calls me and he's like, Hey Jake, Hey man. Yeah. We're going to play that song on, uh, Letterman is that cool and I was like yeah <laughs> wait what I was like you want to play the song that we made on David Letterman he's like yeah uh the other song that they did I think it was one with Fantagram it was like a mid-tempo jam mm -hmm. that wasn't that he wanted something like w much hyper um with because we had a horn section in ours and like it just had this like upbeat vibe to it so he decided to play that one on this particular late night show. Cause you do a tour of them. You do like all the different shows. So he was, he tested out one on this one show. And then I guess he just had an idea that our song would work for this specific gig. So he was like, you, do you want to come sing it with me? And I was like, yeah, yes, I do. Hold on one second. And I fucking like called that girl. She didn't pick up obviously, but I sent her a text. I was like, so I know you told me to hit you up when I have something going on. It's not been much time, but uh, I have something going on now. So let me know. <laughs> let me know what you think. Never heard from her again. Oh, my God. But, yeah, that was my first big thing when Big Boy was like, we're going to play the song. And what was the song? It's called Apple of My Eye. Right. Apple of My Eye. Here we go yeah. now. Our uh, next guest, listen to this, uh, won uh, six Grammy Awards as a member of the groundbreaking duo Outcast. Yeah. This is his uh, sophomore solo CD. It's entitled Vicious Lies and Dangerous Rumors. Please welcome back now with special guest Jake Troth, Big Boy. <laughs> fucking awesome <laughs> it was like being in a spa but for your dreams it was like my ego my like my creativity my personality my like everything was being massaged everyone's like do you need anything chris pratt was like hey man good luck and i was like i've never played on tv before and he was like don't fuck up <laughs> like it was like all this crazy shit happening um but we killed it. We had a great time because we played Leno in L.A. shortly after. And we played Jimmy Fallon or Jimmy Kimmel. And every time I went to these places, I was like, this is exactly what I've been wanting to do. That is cool to me because you get paid to do this, which is even crazier. 
that they would pay you anything. I mean, they don't pay you much, but you get a check in the mail like like a month later and you're like, wait, what is this from? This weird production company. And you're like, oh my God. Like, why they pay me for this? Like, they paid me to do this? Yes, this is life. This is a cool life. Yeah, Big Boy gave me that. It was the, it's like the best gift I've ever gotten. And so what came next to you as far as like becoming a signed artist? Like, how did that process happen? Was it through publishing first or was it through a record deal first? So getting a record deal felt much different than I thought it would because this is when record labels, the shift started to happen where people started to say that you could go independent or you could like do things independently and you don't need a label and that labels are bad and they're ruining music and da 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 da. But I had been courted by multiple labels and some of them didn't feel good. But then I went up to New York to talk to Atlantic. It was like super nice, uh, very friendly. They love music. I love the legacy of their label. I love the artists that were on their labels, the music they've released. I met the president, like the heads of the labels, and we just got along super well. And they saw what I had made on my own and wanted to be involved in the future of whatever I was doing. We just kind of kicked it off. Once I met with them, I had the demo for Really Really, I had made it and it was just being passed around my friends and we were just playing it at parties and like jamming to it on our own because no one wanted to do the song. I like pitched it to a bunch of people, but no one took it. But it got in the hands of Mike Karen, who is like notorious for uh, having a good ear for like catchy tunes and making them massive songs. And so tell me about the making of, of Really Really. How did that single happen? How'd that come about? Okay, so so I stayed at my manager's place and I like basically was potty training this puppy and she called and was like, I can't come home because I have to stay a little bit longer in London. Uh, you're going to have to stay at the apartment longer. So I like brought my recording setup to her place and like set up and started making music. So I was driving around LA, just just driving. I think when I drive my brain is occupied with tasks that it frees up the creative part of my mind. So I end up coming up with lyrics and song ideas subconsciously. And so I came up with this line that was like, all my diamonds shine because they're really diamonds. And I was just like making fun of rap music because I was like, like what is some like Seinfeld shit to say in, in a, in a rap song? I didn't think it was a hook. I didn't think it was anything. I just thought it was like a, fresh line to say but I got back to her place and I was messing around and I played these chords and I found the rhythm for it and I like basically had this first line and I was just mumbling stuff after that and so I tracked all my diamonds shine because they're really diamonds da 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 I knew the melody of it and then I just put that on my phone and just like went to hang out with my friends. And I was like, Hey, check this out. I'm working on this. They're like, Oh, that's cool. Yeah. that's cool. And I played it for my buddy Sham and he was like, that shit is hard, bro. (laughs) I was like, yeah, bro, I need your help finishing this. And, um, slowly I just started filling in all the rest of the lines. I just like, I wrote so many options and I just tried to narrow it down to like, what is the, 
what is the bare minimum shit that you would want to talk about in a in a rap song and so i mentioned uh like um diamonds girls um weed and then i mentioned looking successful I won't apologize. Oh yeah, no apologies is a huge topic in in like pop music or like like Rihanna's entire existence is based off of like no apologies, unapologetic. So that seems to like women love living their lives unapologetically. That seems to be the common thing I've I've noticed is that I just want to feel good about what I'm doing. Like I don't want to be sorry for what I'm doing. So I was like, I got to put that in there. So I won't apologize. I'm not really sorry. And then they asked me if I'm lying. No, I'm not lying about any of this. I'm, re- I'm being uh, really, really. And then, and then what am I doing? I'm driving in my car, puppy, like dog sitting a puppy dog. And I'm like rapping to myself. Like I sound insane. Like this is like, I've, I'm like teetering on the edge of like, like mania. So I just tied it all up with a bow with me talking about like, oh yeah, I'm crazy. Like I'm crazy for saying all of this. And then I sent it to my friends who are like older than me. I send a lot of stuff to them. And uh, one of them is a commercial photographer named RJ. And he was on a shoot for like American Eagle. And he's like with like 30 people. They all work for him and they're like, millions of dollars at stake and like all these models and they're like on some beach taking photos and he sends me this video of him playing this demo for the crew and everyone's like drinking coffee eating donuts on set and then just like "Mm," (laughs) like scrunch face like i'm in a jay-z documentary or something and i'm like hell yeah and then he's like shit is hard bro and then yeah shit is hard bro (laughs) so we're like jamming this song for for months and then I get a session with Chuck English from the Cool Kids, who I've always wanted to work with. He's awesome. Yeah, great guy. And then I play him this tune, and he's like, what? Like, he's like, this is the hardest shit I've ever, he's like, this is the hardest shit I've ever heard. Like, you need to put this out right now. Like, what are you doing? And I was like, well, I'm not a rapper. This isn't my song. I just think someone should do this song. And it's not Chuck English, because it's not his vibe. It's more like Atlanta. So I went to Atlanta. I went to Sunny Digital's house. He made like racks on racks on racks. He made mm-hmm. going up on a Tuesday. He's like, he makes fantastic music. And I played it for him and he was like, this is out of here. This is a no brainer. And I'm like, S- yeah, it is. Meanwhile, I'm like, <laughs> why isn't anybody doing this song? Like you could, you can all tell me how cool this song is, but until someone does it, it's not going to help me at all. Like we can all hang out and listen to this song, but I'd rather us listen to it like, out in public because it's on in public instead of us just like plugging in my iPhone to the auxiliary. So I give it to Sonny. He puts some drums on it and then I never, and then we just didn't, didn't end up finishing it together because he was going on tour and like starting to do his artist stuff and he put beats on the back burner. And then finally, randomly, it got around to this one guy at this publishing company and uh, he played it for so and so and so and so played it for so and so. And... 
and really, really was a really, really big hit. Yeah. Um, how did that impact your life as a as a writer? Oh, what was that feeling like to see the, the success of that song? My favorite so well? thing is when people go. Oh, when I'm like, yeah, I've done so and so, and they're like, uh, oh, what did, what's the song that you've done? And I was like, I did one for Kevin Gates. And like, oh, I like Kevin Gates. Which one did you do? And I tell them, and they're like, what? And they're like, I love that song. Like, you, I, and then when I see people's reaction to like whatever they thought I was, and then then all of a sudden, like, I open a window into like something else, just based off of a thing that I made that like they didn't expect me to make. I love that. And then I never expected it to go platinum. And then when it went platinum, I I definitely didn't think it would go double platinum. Because when I, when I made it, I knew it was a massive tune. Like, all of our friends loved it. But I, I didn't know it would do that. So. Well, Jake, thank you for coming through the show, man. I, can you record us shaking hands through high five? So we can hear yeah. Right. They, got, they got that. Great. 